Good morning from me. My name's Peter. I'm one of the uh, pastors out here. It's good that you're at church. Uh, a few months ago, we actually did a couple of theological threads that underpin who we are as a church. And the, the plan was every quarter to do a couple of those. Today's one of those, and next week is one of those also. If you're new to the church, uh, even since... Um, probably even over the last two years, to be honest. These will be really helpful in understanding what drives us um, and, um, and what really kind of motivates us. So uh, it, it'll be good for you. Um, and uh, if, if you are newer, uh, as uh, Thomas said earlier, if you feel free to uh, jump into Restoration Church in 60 next week. Let's kick in. I've got good news for you today. You want some good news? Yeah. It's good news. It is good news. It is good news because many of us, perhaps all of us, try to be something that we're not. We feel the pressure, the pressure to be able to handle things, pressure to be able to do life a certain way. Uh, but I want to say to you this morning, and, and this is good news, is that you don't have to do life the way that you think you have to. And you don't have to do it the way that culture thinks that you have to as well. You know, the way that we've been made to operate is almost the complete opposite of the way that we think we're supposed to operate. And it's strange that we buy into it so much. It's strange because the embrace of the way things actually are, the way that you've been made, leads to an expansive and sweet peace. Do you want that? And the alternative, trying to be something we aren't, almost always leads to disquiet, and malfunction. What am I talking about? Humanity is dependent by design. Humanity is dependent by design. This is a pre-fall created reality. I want to say to you this morning that to be truly human is to be dependent. And you can sit there and you can nod and go, I like this as an idea, as a concept, but it can get a little bit close to the bone sometimes, right? And we cannot actually believe the good news that we are dependent by design. I want to do a quick kind of Cook's tour of uh, Scripture. You go right back to Genesis chapter 1. You have this Hollywood blockbuster, uh, the most amazing movie ever, yet it's not a movie. It's, it's real life, and it's God creating life. He speaks. It's good. He's busy at work creating things. And one thing that we learn from the first four words of Scripture is the central character in this whole thing is God himself, right? In the beginning, God. We see him pulling together the world and all its creatures uh, bit by bit. And at the pinnacle of it, he creates humanity. And God said in verse 26 of the first chapter of the Scriptures, let us make man. Generic term. Humanity. It says later there, male and female. Before we go any further, I want you to notice, just at this point, the biological nature of humanity. In some ways, I could finish the sermon right here, right? Um, because just at a cursory glance, you can see that humanity is dependent by nature. How? Well, we could just start with these, right? Oxygen, air, food, like nourishment, a balanced diet. We, we need things to be human, to be truly human, to be who God made us to be. Psalm 104 says, not just that we've got to go out and rustle up some food. Um, our dog killed a rabbit yesterday, all right? And I didn't think she was going to be quick enough, but she was. And I sent a text to my older son saying, 
That's not how we roll at the Sunday God. It's not catch and kill your own dinner. All right? But there is, you know, it can feel like that sometimes. But when we read the scriptures in Psalm 104, we, we know that God's the one that actually hands out food in due season to all of his creatures. We need water. We need rest. Any mums out there with newborns want to give me an amen? All right? There's a reason why sleep deprivation is torture. Because it doesn't go well for people. I mean, if you, if you get, and some of you are going to go, oh, I wish I got that much. If you got eight hours uh, of sleep a night, you'd be asleep for a third of your life. All right? If you live for 75 years, you'd be literally asleep for 25 years of your life. Why? Because that's how God's made you to operate. You're not self-contained. You can't do whatever you want. You have to stop. And when you don't stop for long enough, you pay the price for it. You've got shelter. You need protection. When humans get exposed, they don't live for very long. Or they at least become vulnerable to getting ill. Um, we watched uh, last night the doco on the Thai boys that got the Thai soccer team that got stuck in the cave in Thailand. You know, an amazing story. Amazing story. But what's the concern about all of that? Well, they don't have food. They're running out of oxygen. They've got some shelter, but their shelter actually is not going to be shelter for them very long because uh, they talked about them getting wet coughs and uh, it's all just too damp inside of there. Uh, this is on full display. Here's uh, th this idea of them being dependent, needing things to come to them. Here's the bottom line. Uh, you aren't self-contained. You need things to come from outside of you to be who you were made to be. I think that's pretty straightforward. And again, we could stop right now, right? Because uh, we haven't even scratched the surface. But I want to just track on a little bit further in Genesis chapter 1 and see if we can spot any other dependencies that pop up there. Well, it's interesting, right? Um, and God said, let us make man. And the next three words are in our image. The image of God, this is huge. Uh, this is the reality that who we are is hardwired to who God actually is. We are dependent on God to be the people he has made us to be like a mirror. We're made to reflect him. And this is how we be who he has made us to be, is we're dependent upon him. It's actually his personal presence that makes us who we are. So you know what we've got so far is we've got dependency in biology and dependency in identity. Do you see that? Uh, what else have we got? Well, if you go on a little bit more there in that verse... And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Humanity's created male and female. Do you notice what's going on here? Eve has something that Adam doesn't. And Adam has something that Eve doesn't. Um, another way of saying it is that we're relationally dependent upon one another. And the rest of Scripture teaches that as well. So now we've got biologically dependent, dependent in terms of our identity, and relationally dependent. Now the interesting thing about all of this is you go, isn't this all just because we sinned? And it's like, well, this is all pre-sin. This is all pre-the fall. We'll keep going. What happens next? Well, it's interesting, right? Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, you're probably pretty used to this section of Scripture. And there's much that could be said about it, right? 
But zoom out for a little and ask this question. What is God doing here? It's a very, it's not a trick question. He's talking to humanity, right? That's what he's doing. And, and you could ask the question, why is he talking to humanity? And here's the simple answer to it. Because they can't work it out on their own. <laughs> That's why. They just can't work it out on their own. What can't they work out on their, on their own? Well, themselves and what they're supposed to be doing. It's not self-evident to Adam and Eve. And I want to say to you this morning that this is normal. You actually aren't meant to work yourself out, and you're not meant to work out what you're supposed to be doing on your own. It's God and his revelation that's meant to come to you to make sense of who you are and what he wants you to do. It's normal. We are dependent on his revelation. I remember this uh, student that I spoke to a number of years ago, and uh, it was a a tragic story, which I won't go into, but um, she was badly treated by a bunch of males in her life. And she was, she was really struggling in the aftermath of that. And uh, I, remember, I remember the place I spoke of, it was, um, it was up on, when I was up on bus duty and I was standing there and I was just encouraging her. I said, you know, you should, you should go and talk to God about what's going on for you. And you know what she said to me? She said, I just have to sort it out and then I'll go and talk to God. And I was in a really encouraging way. It wasn't a rebuke or anything. I said, it just doesn't, it's not meant to work that way. And it doesn't work that way. You're meant, you're meant to work this stuff out. You're meant to work out stuff about you. You're even meant to work out the evil things that have happened to you with God's help. I don't know whether she did or not in the end. But it's true, right? Uh, this is how you and I have been made. This is how it was in the beginning. Precinct. Dependence was normal. You've got to hang out there for a little bit. Dependence upon God was normal. And you're going, what? Well, just everything. Just everything. It was just mind-numbingly, boringly normal. But there's been a tweak now, hasn't there? We're all well aware of the tweak that happened. And it's a tweak that's happened because of the fall. You know, what we've got here in Genesis 1 and 2 is everything is perfect. Listen to this. Humanity, it's like there's a part of me that wants to challenge you to argue against this. Humanity was happily dependent. Happily dependent. There's one tree that they can't eat and the rest are probably mango trees. No, I'm kidding. That's where I'll be hanging out, right? Is that the mango tree. Um, there's only one tree they can't eat. This, this serpent comes in and says, God's holding out on you. He's actually not that good. Um, and then the big moment comes where there's a decision about whether they're going to eat from the tree or they're not going to eat from the tree. And, and what we see is the first individualism. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, you see that? She is not the determiner of what is good. If you go back to Genesis 1 that we just looked at, you're actually meant to work out what is good by God's revelation. There's a dependency in terms of understanding the world. Now this dependency is gone and it's independence. It's individualism. 
saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. What happens in this moment? Humanity decides to be their own people, to interpret life and who they are themselves. They break off from dependency and they go independent. That's what they do. And this drive to be independent... This self-made man, this self-made woman thing has run through humanity ever since. And it runs in our whole culture. I mean, if you've had anything to do with other cultures around the world, especially cultures outside of Western uh, culture, you'll, uh, you, you'll, it's like it's almost impossible not to see the fierce individualism and independence that runs in Western culture. But it runs everywhere. And, and the reality is that we only see the tip of the iceberg. There's um, a guy called, I don't know whether you heard of him, called, he's quite a, a famous SAS lecturer and philosopher who lived in the 1800s called Ralph Waldo Emerson. Has anyone, anyone ever heard of him? He wrote a very famous essay, which uh, I'd encourage you to go and read, but just be a little bit mindful of how the, uh, the hooks can actually get into you from... Uh, this essay, because this essay is called Self-Reliance. It's one of his most famous works. I want to give you a few key quotes from this essay. Here's uh, what Ralph Waldo Emerson says. To believe your own thought, to believe that what is true for you and your private heart is true for all men, that is genius. <laughs> and this one, trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. And for images of God, what about this one from later on in the essay? Insist on yourself, never imitate. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. You see, what Emerson's articulating and promoting is the very thing that happened at the fall. His dependency disappeared and independence rose its ugly head and what we actually found is this people the humanity that god made kind of needy by design or dependent by design actually end up in a place where need explodes because they disconnect from god himself and this is how it works for us like when when we when i disconnect from god our need explodes because what what we don't have is all this stuff flowing to us from god you know, it's like a, uh, an astronaut out on a spacewalk who just decides to cut through all the lines, <laughs> you know. The astronaut needs oxygen to be able to live out there in space. But when they cut it, need explodes. And this is what humanity did with God, all right? Dependent by nature, dependent before the fall, all of a sudden, way more dependent now. But it's odd, right? We know, I think deep down, we know that being dependent is the way that we're made to operate. But who knows that we can get stuck trying to make our lives go on our own? Does anyone know what, what I'm talking about? I, I do. I do. You know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing the message for this morning and I just thought, why, why is that? Like, if, if we know deep down that we need help why why do we just get after making our life work on our own so much and you know sometimes 
one of them, I think, is, is pretty understandable, to be honest. And um, sometimes I think it can be, can be because of hurt, because other people have hurt you. They let you down. So you've kind of gone, I'm not going to lean on them. And, and I want to say to you that if, if you've been hurt by other people and they've let you down and they've let you down really, really badly, I can understand the instinct to just pull in. It's like I'm just going to do stuff on my own right now. I get that. That's a thing. And it is something that you need to work through. But I want to ask you a few questions. And these, these will sound... I don't mean these to be confrontational, but let's just to get a few things in perspective. Because, well, let me ask you. If, that, if that's you, be honest. Is there anyone who has let you down as much as you have? People have let me down, and that's genuine. And people have hurt me. But no one, no one has let me down as much as I've let me down. Again, these are not meant to be confrontational. It's just perspective setting. Has any, is there anyone who has lied to you as much as you have? All those lies that you believe, that you've told yourself... That are taking you to dark places. And I would say, this is Peter, no one has lied to Peter as much as he's lied to himself. Maybe, maybe you're better than me. And I'll, uh, I'll be the first to congratulate you if you are. Is there anyone who has taken you to dark places as much as you have? And one side, I think, to this drive to kind of be our own people is this reaction to other people's hurt. And, and like I said before, it's, it's understandable and I get that, but this is your option, is self-dependence, right? And I, I'm, I'm just not sure our record's as good as we think. <laughs> That's what I'd suggest to you. The other side to humanity, um, just picking a... A couple of facets to it um, is that we want to be self-made people. Is that there's something inside of us that that wants to be independent and stand on our own without reliance on God or anyone else? It's kind of part of our fallen DNA. It's the pride thing, right? Like, who likes being weak? I don't. Do you? <laughs> you like being weak? I hate it. I hate being weak. We all want to be strong, right? Who, Strong feels good, <laughs> does it? Does anyone want to come with me on that? It just, it just feels good when you're strong. Uh, dependence feels weak. It feels bad, but it isn't. You know, and, and we've got this kind of streak that kind of runs in us, and it runs really strongly through our culture. And we, 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 we assume that growing up and being an adult... Is mean, means becoming more independent and less dependent. And, and in one sense, that's actually true. But when it comes to God, growing up is growing independence. You see that? It's, it's actually the opposite of what you think. And, and so we've got this streak that kind of runs through us. And in um, Moses' kind of best-of sermon in Deuteronomy, 
Um, he gives this warning to the people of Israel when they get into the land of Canaan. Um, and it kind of flags this kind of thing that runs through us. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. That's a warning for us too. Uh, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. God gives support and help to humanity. He gives grace to humanity, even in their rebellion. And there's a tendency in us, and you can see it from what Moses is saying there, is just to go, I got this done. And, and Moses is going, when you get in there, and you have this moment where you go, I got this done. Just remember, you didn't get anything done, really. It was God that got something done through you. He gave you the power to do it. We see this in other scriptures. Colossians 1.17. God is before all things and in him all things hold together. God gives power and life, food and breath. And there's this street kind of in us that wants to take credit for it, even when we obviously can't. So how do you grow in being truly human? How do you grow in being truly human? It's about growing in saying this to the Lord and to others. Are you ready? Probably came to church today, it's like I'm going to get something really heavy. Well, this is not heavy. This is very simple. It's three words. I need help. We, we're about restoring true humanity, and this is one of the ways you get there that we grow in our ability to say to the Lord and to others, I need help. It's the whole thing, right? And I, I'm not, please, I'm not having a crack at you, but there's, there's lots of times that I, I hear myself and other people say, Lord, let me know if you need a hand, which is great, and it's great to do that. It's great to offer help to people who are in need, but I reckon for every... Ten times I hear someone say, let me know if you need a hand, I hear about half a person say, I need help. Right? And, and what I'm saying to you this morning is, this is the mark of growing in true humanity. I need help. Every day. You say it first to God, and then you say it to other people, because God's help comes through other people. And it's this ongoing awareness where you go, I, I'm just not going to be able to get this done today. I don't have what it takes. You get up in the morning and you go, I, I'm not going to be able to get this done unless God turns up and he helps me, unless he sends some people my way to help me out. This is going to be a wreck. It's not going to go well. There's simply no way I can be who God's called me to be without help today. <laughs> and you know, sometimes... Um, you know, some of you sit there and you go, well, that sounds nice. And sometimes it's nice. And sometimes it's like really, really gritty, isn't it? Asking for just saying, I need help. You can take you to a really gritty place. And, and I want to encourage you this morning, really, really, that's my heart this morning is to encourage you because, um, you know, settling into dependence is like settling into a recliner chair. If you could view it that way and putting a nice blanket on top, maybe a heated throw rug, right? You, you're just going to take the pressure off, right? If you're going to try and be independent, there's going to be a fair bit of pressure that's going to go with that. But if you, 
Uh, just embrace your dependence. Um, you're just going to settle into some things that are going to be really helpful. Here's the first one. You'll just settle into realizing and just operating that you don't, you don't know everything, you know. So people come up to you and they tell you something that you didn't know and you go, of course, of course, I wouldn't have known that. You know, all of a sudden, and you can see the irony here, right, is that when you're strong and you think, and you're independent, you've actually closed off all the access, you've turned off all the taps to the help that can come from outside of you. So this is a classic example of it, is when you go, no, I'm actually dependent and I don't, I don't know everything, all of a sudden you've turned a tap back on, right, and the knowledge of other people can actually flow to you. And that's kind of the irony of, of strength and dependence, right? is because dependence feels weak, but it's actually strength. Do you see that? And so you turn the tap on, and it's like someone can come and tell you stuff. I remember it wasn't that long ago where I thought it was a failure on my part if someone came up and told me something I didn't know, that I just had to be across everything. I had to have all the good ideas. And now I just go, <laughs> of course. That's... It's, it's almost the words that go on inside of me when someone comes and says something I don't know. Of course. Of course. And I listen. What about this? Settle into the reality that you can't be everywhere. Um, mums and, and dads, especially with your kids, right? Um, here's, here's another one. Settle into the reality that You'll make mistakes, sometimes publicly. It'll be embarrassing sometimes because people will see it. You'll need grace from, from God and from other people. You'll, you'll need to say sorry. And here's the thing, let's, let's just start. And this is where you go, well, this is a bit, it's a bit heavy, but it's actually not, right? If you can today, I mean, what are, what are we? We're 10 o'clock. You're not going to have a clean sheet today. <laughs> Between now and when you go to bed tonight, you're going to mess up multiple times. Now, if you just, you just reconcile with that thought now, you'll probably have a better day. <laughs> All right? Because there's not one person in the room that that's not going to be true for. Um, you're going to need help from other people. Just settle into that, right? Um, this one, this next one, these, these probably sound bad to you, but I think if you could just settle into these, you'd probably be more peaceful. Here's, here's another one, is settle into the reality that you have problems which you don't know about yet. Okay, it, feels, it probably feels a bit heavy, but it's like, okay, it's probably true. And do you know the people around you probably already know them? All right, they've just been really nice to you and haven't told you. Okay, but they do. I've had that. I've, I've gone up to people and said, man, I've just realised I've got this thing. And they go, yeah, actually, I've seen that for ages. You know? Settle into the reality that you're, you're not very strong. That you don't actually have that much power and, and you're going to need to trust God. Now, all of these might seem a bit depressing, but it actually isn't. And this is because of the irony about independence. Because independence feels strong, but independence is actually weak. That's what it is. 
You know, the person who, uh, who stands shaking their fists at God is not strong. They are using borrowed strength. And it's in God that they live and they move and they have their being. They're actually weak. God's grace is there for them, but they're not leveraging it. But he's not leveraging it on their behalf. And this is what we want to do. We want to grow in increasing dependence upon God. That's what we want to do. So here's the $64,000 question. How do you do that? Now, you've got to be careful with the answer to this, right? Because it's going to be like praying for patience. Who, who's, can anyone remember praying for patience? And you go, I'm never doing that again, ever. And you just need to know that um, if the thread of independence in us runs really, really deep and it's kind of what we do, what we're needing to see happen is we're needing to see dependence run really deep and kind of push that, push that out. And I want to say to you that in a world where everything is upside down, in a world where things don't make sense, in a world where the corruption of evil is well advanced, Look for God's ways to be unconventional. Okay? Now, this is a whole nother sermon, right? But for whatever reason, the unwinding of the twisted, convoluted stuff in us is often done, and the way that God chooses to do it is by using twisted, convoluted things. Injustice teaches us about justice. Bitterness teaches us, teaches us about forgiveness. Cruelty teaches us about kindness. The abuse of power teaches us about humility. It's not that you can't learn some of those things without the evil. It's just that in a fallen world, it seems that God uses those things to teach us some really, really important, valuable things. And let me give you one more. Weakness teaches us about strength. True strength. And I want you to hear this this morning, that weakness teaches you about true strength in a way strength could never teach you. See, true strength is not about whether you're weak or not. Everyone's weak. True strength is about whether you are consciously dependent upon God or not. Because you can appear strong and actually be weak. And you can be weak and be weak. God's goal for you is to be strong when you're weak. I want to close this morning uh, with some of Paul's words from Corinthians. Some of the most quoted verses in Scripture. The context here is that uh, there's been people in the church of Corinth who think Paul's just generally a pretty disappointing guy. Um, he's a real letdown. He's not powerful by the cultural norms. He's inferior to the so-called super apostles. Uh, and by the time he gets to 2 Corinthians 11, he's begun playing into their way of doing things and begins boasting about his sufferings for Christ as a way of moving them to see what was really, really important. He goes on to talk about visions and revelations from the Lord. Some have suggested these might be related to a near-death experience. I remember reading that. I thought, that's interesting. Um, and, and his risk that these revelations that he's had, these surpassingly great revelations, would lead to him becoming proud, which is a kind of weakness. 
That's what it is. Then he says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now lots of people have tried to work this one out. And I don't want to spend heaps of time on the details, so I'm just going to pick some of the low-hanging fruit here. Just have a straightforward look. Uh, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. And what's really important that you notice here is um, there's someone who's doing the thorn in the flesh and there's one who's giving the thorn in the flesh. And you just need to know this, the one who gives the thorn in the flesh is God and the one who does the thorn in the flesh is the devil. So who was ultimately responsible for the activity of the thorn in the flesh? The devil was, but God was the one who allowed it to happen and God had a purpose in giving it. And this is actually consistent with what we see right throughout Scripture, that the devil does stuff and God uses it for his purposes. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, no one really knows. Let's just say that. There's lots of debate about what it is or what it could be. But I think the fact that no one knows is really good for us today because it means that we can just have a broad application of it. Uh, if the nature of Paul's thorn in the flesh was really specifically defined, there's a whole bunch of us here today just going, oh, that's not my thing. What we do know is that it was very, very personal to Paul. Now, what did Paul's thorn in the flesh actually do? Well, you know what it did? There was a weakness for him. There was this thing that kept coming at him, and it did this. Paul's thorn in the flesh kept him in touch with his weakness. It was a regular reminder that he needed God's help. Kept him consciously weak. And I'd ask you this morning, do you have something like this? Something that can turn you to water at a moment's notice? Do you know what this is like? You can be going great, and then all of a sudden this thing shows up, or it's this weakness that goes on, or someone says something who just presses like right on where the weakness is and all of a sudden you just lose it. Now, we can quote some of the things that Paul goes on to say in a moment. We can quote them and euphorically in the Christian community, right? Um, we can glory in it and we're going to get to some good things in a minute, right? But we can quote the following verses in a glorious way, but who knows that weakness just feels like playing weakness. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's just weak. That's, that's what it is. It isn't fun. And you can actually see this from what Paul goes on to say in verses 8 and 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my paraphrase, no. No. Now, there are weaknesses that you can work around. And, you know, one of the things that um, I love about having multiple pastors on staff is I just don't have to be good at everything. Um, because there's other people around me who are good at things that I'm not good at. You know, there's sometimes you can work around weaknesses, you can get away from it, but you know, there's sometimes that you're in times and places where you just can't get away from it. 
Uh, do you understand that, like the, 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 the pathos and the emotion in what Paul's saying? Now, three times I pleaded with the Lord that you would just make it go away from me. And he says, no. See, if you are anything like me, I have times... I have times where I say to God, and I think inside, I would be much more helpful to you if I'm strong. And you know what God says? You will be much more helpful to me if you're dependent. That's what he says. And I think this is what he says to Paul. So God says, no. He says no to Paul. And it's a hard answer to hear. It's not a hard answer to hear because God wants to hang you out to dry. It's a hard answer to hear because you're just going to have to dwell in weakness a bit. And who likes doing that? Not me. Has God said no to you? Is there a weakness that you've got? Where you've said to the Lord, I just want this to go away. And he said no. Let's finish on a good note, because it is good. It's glorious, actually. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And I want to hang there. My grace is sufficient for you. Do you need to hear that? His kindness, his generosity is enough. It doesn't matter what your weakness is today. It doesn't matter what is going on in your family, what's going on in your life. God would say to you, my grace is sufficient for you. There's enough. Not going to turn up and the shelves are bare. You know, you turn up at the grace store and the shelves are bare, you know, like everyone just bought all the toilet paper. You know, it's like, what am I going to do now? You're not going to get there and it's going to be bare because his grace is sufficient for you and there's enough for you. You know, that's hard to believe when you're right in the middle of weakness. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Because in the middle of weakness, you go, the only thing I need right now is to be strong because I hate being weak. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect or complete in weakness. That's stunning, right? The flip side is true. If you think you're strong and you're not particularly dependent, uh, God's power is not complete in you it's not perfect and then he goes on to talk he kind of um, moves on to talk about moves from the personal to the gospel really uh, about um, the truth about Jesus going out therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me this is a massive 
call, this next one. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm yet to grow to that point. <laughs> All right? But I know that God wants to get me to that point. You know, there's some weaknesses where I, I go, yeah, I can, I can be content with that and I can trust the Lord. And there's some really gritty weaknesses for me where I just go, uh, I'm not saying that I'm content. I, I, can't, I can't get there. God would have me to get there. He's working on me to get, get me there. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How do you get to a point of being content with weaknesses? You get content with weaknesses when you know that they lead you to true strength, to dependence upon God. And do you know something? When you are in a place of weakness, I'll tell you something. You go back to the illustration of turning the taps on. You turn pretty much every tap on when you're weak, right? And all this help can come to you from outside. And that's how we can get to the point of being content with weaknesses. Where did, where did Paul learn the secret of power in weakness? Where do you reckon he learned that? It's this guy's Jesus, Mary, or God. Our Sunday school answer. Well, it's Jesus, right? Next chapter. Verse 4. For Jesus was crucified in weakness, but lives by the very power of God. It's the great irony. It's the great irony. God, we have a mighty one. It works on our behalf. We are so thankful. We are so thankful that he gets mightier when we get weaker. He gets mightier in our lives and he works through us in more powerful ways. As we get acquainted with our weaknesses, would you make us a church of people who not only are content with weaknesses because we can see what they do for us, but even a church that boasts about our weakness. Amen.